This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Well, welcome in to Seattle Sports at Night here on this Wednesday. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Curtis Rogers, joined tonight by the quarterback, Jake Heaps. Jake, how you doing? I'm great, man. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. I'm psyched to be here. I am too, and it feels like we haven't been together in a long time. That's Yes, that is 100% true because my schedule last week got thrown off with the <laughs> Mariners games in Tokyo having to be here in the middle of the night. It was 2.30 a.m. first pitch for both games. I was here Putting in those hard hours. That's right. Giving you guys Mariners baseball, which, by the way, it starts again tomorrow with the regular season. Let's uh, go. Yeah. I got my first. I, the, this is like my first real feel of media, by the way, because oh. coming on here, I just feel like I'm hanging out, having a good time with everybody. And you gave me my media card for the Mariners. And I was like, I really get one of these? Yeah, like, I get yeah. media access? This is amazing. Yeah. This is it's, pretty sweet, man. I, yeah, I remember my first media badge, and uh, it was certainly a, a a thrill. It was a rush. <laughs> it was like, whoa, like that's my face in a card that can get me just about anywhere in in T-Mobile Park. That that that's one of the coolest things. So, Jake, you're now a member of the media. Oh man, this is. I feel honored. Well, <laughs> right. I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that way. For some, it, it may not be a big badge of honor, but uh, we're honored to have you here. The guru, but I mean, not my words, by the way. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Somebody else's words. Uh, but we've got a lot to get to tonight. NFL rule changes. Did they get those right? Also, four down territory. We're splitting it, Huskies and Seahawks tonight. So not just Seahawks in this one. Uh, and then also looking at the young talent for the Seahawks, who do you expect to make a leap in next year uh, in the 2019 season? That's all coming your way. Also coming your way right now, well, let's check out what's on the timeline. And Pete Carroll, head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, he joined our very own John Clayton earlier today. If you missed that, you can check out the podcast page, 710sports.com. Click on podcast. The head coach, Spoke a lot about the offseason so far for the Seahawks, uh, the intentions of certain moves that they made this offseason, and also giving some updates on certain players' health, most notably Doug Baldwin. Jake, we're going to get into that in about 10 minutes here, what Pete Carroll had to say specifically about John Clayton. But first off, did anything he say jump out at you and really grab your attention? The one thing that really grabbed my attention was the big focus was retaining the roster. And I thought that was something that was going to be really key for them in terms of their free agents trying to re-sign their guys. Uh, they did a good job of making that happen with K.J. Wright, uh, with D.J. Fluker. Uh, they were able to kind of swap out J.R. Sweezy with Mikey Potty. Um, so for the most part, I thought they did a good job in that regard and being able to stay within contracts that made sense for this roster in this current point in time. Uh, but with that being said, man, does he have a big belief that the guys on this current roster, the young guys, are the future and that they don't need to make any big additions. We're going to get into more about the belief that Pete Carroll has in this Seahawks team, specifically the young talent on the roster, guys who have been drafted in the last couple of years. We're going to get into that coming up at 8 o'clock. 
do they believe their young talent is good enough to get them to a Super Bowl? And if so, do you? We'll talk that at 8 o'clock. Also, in the news today, the NFL adopting new pass interference rules for the 2019 season. They're not necessarily pass interference rules. as more of it's an expansion of replay. Yes. Where offensive and defensive pass interference can now be replayed in the upcoming season. Uh, it's a rule that's only been put in place for the 2019 season, but it could be one that gets adopted and becomes permanent in 2020 and beyond. Uh, we'll get into come. We'll get into more of that in about 7:30. Did they get these rule changes right? And that question was felt like a earthquake in this particular building. There was a lot of conversation, a lot of debate, one way or the other. Uh, and so it'll be fun to talk about this a little bit more. But it's exciting to me. This is this is something that you're you're growing. You're you're growing and trying to head in the right direction. And the fact that this is only for one year and not a permanent deal, I think, is the right move here. You experiment. You see if this works. If there's flaws that you can change and perfect, then you move forward with it. Or if it just opens a litany of problems, then you go back to your old ways. So th- this will be a fun one year experiment and one that I hope really works out. I really hope it does too, and I hope it, it works out to a point where. The rule changes don't even become noticeable. Yeah. I think that's the the surest sign that you've made a good decision in the game of football where it, it isn't even noticeable. Right. And if it does become noticeable, if it does slow games down to a, a archaic pace, then I, I don't think it has a place in the game. But if it happens and we don't even notice it in the 2019 season... Yeah then I don't think anybody has a reason to complain about it. Or if it's called excessively, right? Yes. That's, that's, the biggest, that's the biggest concern as well, is if it's, if it's called excessively, if it's called more than it usually does, I think the biggest thing that we're looking for is there's maybe one call in that particular game, not every game, just in one particular game, in one critical moment, can you get that reversed or called right in that moment? That's where it will all become worth it to open it up for four or five more challenge flags on a defensive PI or offensive PI, that's not what we want out of this. It's for one critical play in that game. Definitely, definitely. Mariners were less than 24 hours away from their home opener at T-Mobile Park going up against the defending world champion Boston Red Sox. Let's go! I'm, I'm pumped for that one. I'm so psyched for it. You've got the Mariners with the best record in baseball right now. They're 2-0. Yeah, baby. No one else can say that. But we saw earlier this week, coming home from Japan, going up against the San Diego Padres in those two exhibition games, and they came out flat. Curtis, can you explain something to me? I am so confused. They are playing regular season games, games that count. They come home from Japan and make them play exhibition games. What is up with that? It is so confusing. (laughs) I equate it to an NFL team playing two preseason games and then traveling across the world, having to play a regular season game that counts, and then... The league saying, "Oh, by the way, you got to go finish out your preseason schedule." It's like, no, we're in regular season mode now, right? Like going from a mindset of this game counts, this game is absolutely, li- you know, this is life and death, 
to then having to unwind from that and play two games that don't matter. Right. I don't blame the Mariners for coming out you, flat. You, you might as well games. just not play the game, give them some rest so that they can be geared up for their opening day. It makes zero sense to me. So I'm hoping that they were able to get the jet lag out of their system. Those two games just kind of are a wash and that we're able to continue to see the Mariners on this 2-0 and winning streak, right? Like, hey. that's that's the expectations, right, Right, Curtis? Two down, 160 to go. <laughs> That'd be a new club record if they won 162 games. That's right. Probably a major league record. Well, absolutely would be. Uh, some more NFL notes today. One guy that the Seahawks had some interest in in the free agency market, well, no team will have interest in him now. Jordy Nelson retiring from the NFL after a decade in the game, most notably being one of Aaron Rodgers' most favorite targets. His name was was sort of tossed about as a possible a possibility with the Seahawks and their wide receiver core. He's not coming to Seattle, uh, so the Seahawks are going to have to go back to the drawing board right there. I think for Jordy Nelson, it, it came down to, look, I'm not going to play on a team without the price point that I want to play at. And he simply wasn't going to get that. He had opportunities to play for the Seahawks, the Patriots. He went around to some really good teams that were interested in him and his services and just ultimately deemed that this was his time to walk away from the game. Uh, He still had a lot left in the tank. It would have been fun. I think it would have been a really nice addition to the Seahawks roster and to that receiving core. But uh, you can always respect and be happy for a guy that he can walk away from the game on his own terms. Also in today's news, the Cougs have made it official. They have hired Kyle Smith to be their men's basketball head coach. Smith coming from the University of San Francisco, known for a style of play affectionately called nerd ball. Which <laughs> I, I love it. I, yeah. This this is this is to me the right fit. Now we'll see how it plays out, but this is a guy that came from uh you know, the University of San Francisco who had great success. He's played at small colleges before. And when you have a guy that now is stepping into Washington State, it is tough to recruit. It's a tough environment to play in. You've got to be able to recruit the lesser talent or the diamonds in the rough. Find your guys that fit your system and play really, really good basketball. And so I think that this coach could then, you know, Kyle Smith can bring that level of coaching and bring that culture back. Uh, whereas a Ernie Kent, I mean, he went from Oregon, had all the facilities, had all the recruiting firepower that you could possibly want, and now you go to Washington State and you just simply don't have that. So yeah. it really exposes to me, in my mind, the type of coach that Ernie Kent was. It's a tough place to recruit, but also if you're a good coach, you can make it work. Tony Bennett made it work for yeah. a few seasons exactly. there on the Palouse. Uh, some other news and notes in the uh, world of football couple of weird ones today. The AAF and their, what is it, CEO now, yeah. Tom Dundon, who also owns Yikes. the NHL's Carolina Hurricanes, he is now threatening to fold the league if they don't get help from the NFL Players Association. So their their whole goal in the league was to become a, a developmental league for the NFL. Right. They wanted help for the from the NFLPA to give them players to use. The PA says, no, like we're there's nothing in it for us. Why would we give you our guys? Correct. So now Dundon threatening to pull the plug on the entire league. Yeah, this isn't a good look, especially for this report to come out before their season is even over, their playoffs even begin. Like that, that's very disheartening. Um, and this is a model that I. This is a bummer to me because I was really excited about this league. If it if it does indeed fold, uh, I was really pumped about what this league could be. Uh, but 
I think that's the model that you have to be careful of is that you cannot solely base yourself to be attached to the NFL. You have to stand alone and and be able to have a marketability to be a league that is about the AF. It's not about the NFL. And if you can't if you can't survive not having the NFL's blessing or having their players funnel into your league, I understand the concept, but the NFL doesn't really need to change right now. What what purpose does that give them? And for the NFL PA's perspective, for a quarterback, it's awesome. But what about the offensive line? What about the linebackers, the guys that are hitting every single play? You were talking about having an offseason potentially where they do not get a break, Curtis. They yeah. go from, let's say you're a team that plays in the playoffs or the Super Bowl. Your season is done in January. Then you go into the AAF. Then you play from January through March, full contact, by the way, right? Then from there, in April, you get into OTAs that last until June. The only time that you have off is for three weeks in July. No, thank you. That's that's a lot of football, a lot of contact. That's yeah. that's tough. That is, that's just not going to work if the AAF wants to continue on as this, uh, as this developmental or hopeful developmental league. they got to go back to the drawing board in a hurry. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports at Night, Pete Carroll, he sat down with 710's own John Clayton earlier today. What did he have to say about keeping this team together in free agency? Also, how are they going to add to their pass rush, and what is the latest on Doug Baldwin's health? We get into all of that next. Curtis Rogers and the quarterback, Jake Heaps, right here. Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coors Light text line is there for you. 710-710 is the number to text. Curtis Rogers and Jake Heaps holding it down with you here on this Wednesday. Shout out to you for stopping by, That's making right. us part of your night. That's right, your drive. We appreciate you, whatever you guys are doing. Hopefully we can bring some great content for you. There we go. There we go. And speaking of great content, I mean, when Pete Carroll stops by here on 710, it's a pretty big deal. And he stopped by John Clayton earlier today, talked a lot about uh, the Seahawks offseason as Pete Carroll and John Schneider and a lot of members of the Seahawks front office are down at the annual NFL owners meetings in Phoenix, Arizona this week. J- Jake, did you ever get, have you ever gone to a- an owners meeting or anything like that? I have not. No? I have not had the fortune of going <laughs> to the owners meeting. Uh, I've never been invited. Because I've seen like guys who have gone there this week. I think Nikhil Harry actually did some interviewing with teams, uh, the Arizona State wide receiver. So, I mean, I guess it's open to players in a way, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. For for me, if I'm a player, the only reason why I'm going down there is to network. That's that's about it. Hand out some business cards. Exactly. See if I can rub shoulders with some uh, pretty wealthy people. Yeah, very wealthy guys. Uh, but Pete Carroll stopped by our very own John Clayton today. Had a lot to say, including uh, sort of a theme that Pete Carroll has wanted in this offseason of keeping the band back together, or getting the band back together, keeping it uh, intact. And a big part of that was getting K.J. Wright back because you do that, Bobby Wagner sees that and says, okay, maybe that's that's a reason for me to stay. If they're going to take care of K.J., 
even after the year that that Wright had where he wasn't healthy for a large chunk large chunk of the season. Yeah. Bobby sees that and says, "Well, I'm healthy. I'm at the top of my game. I'm still playing my best football." I think he is much more receptive to coming back to Seattle. Pete talked about keeping the Seahawks together. We wanted to keep this team together as best we could. Um, KJ was a big part of that to get this thing started, and uh, we're really excited about that. I think uh, getting the kicker is a big deal for us. Um, you know, the kind of style of play we want, we want to be as efficient as we possibly can. Uh, Jason had a great season last year. Um, once he got out from our clutches, <laughs> he did a pretty good job, but it gave us the opportunity to bring him on back in, and we're, we're thrilled to get that done. Gives us a really solid kicking game, obviously, with Michael and and and, and uh, T-Lock return, and we're in great shape. So we've done some really good things there. Pete also mentioned the signing of Jason Myers, who was with the Seahawks a year ago in training camp. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Let him go. Kept Sebastian Janikowski instead. Seabass, we all know how that went. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. That's right. You could. Yeah, Jason Myers had someone that was ninety-two percent. Yeah, you know, but went to a Pro Bowl. You can't. You can't win them all here, Curtis. You, I, you definitely can't. The thing is with KJ Wright, uh, KJ was a great player. KJ is a good player. He was and is. He is a guy that uh, adds a lot of stability to this team. Um, even if you get Michael Kendricks back and then playing all together, that is a fantastic thing. That will linebacker position. The chemistry that Bobby Wagner has with KJ is huge. And just like you had mentioned in terms of contract negotiations, I think that's for for Coach Carroll and the Seahawks. That bodes well because if there was one guy, Bobby talked about one guy out of all of his teammates, out of the Legion of Boom and everything that went into that, there was one guy Bobby stood on the table for and made some really strong remarks about in terms of his desire to keep a certain player, and that was KJ Wright. There are they are great friends. They spend so much time in the offseason together, working out, training. Uh, their chemistry together on the field is second to none, and it's only going to add uh, a, a. It's only going to lead into success on the field, and also want Bobby to stay in Seattle. So uh, for them, I, they sounded pretty confident about Bobby's, you know, returning with the Seahawks, which to me is a no-brainer. It just really comes down to the price tag that Bobby Wagner wants to have, and maybe KJ being on the team makes Bobby willing to uh, lower his price tag a little bit. Not where you know it's probably still going to be eighteen million dollars ahead of CJ Mosley as it should be, but maybe Bobby would have been more apt to change it to nineteen million dollars and up it if it if it if KJ was not on the team. And there's also the familiarity Bobby having played his entire career next to KJ. And I think Bobby Wagner also incredibly deserving of that payday because he is still, by all accounts, the best linebacker in football, not just the eye test, but statistically as well. Pro Football Focus consistently has him rated as the top linebacker in football. I mean, this is a guy who, when all is said and done, I look at Bobby Wagner and I look at his resume in Seattle, it could end up being the most impressive of this era of Seahawks players and which is saying a lot because he played on the same defense with Earl Thomas, Richard yeah. Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, all these guys that are household names. And it was Bobby who was just the steadiest presence of them all. And he's able, he's been able to convert that into a, an incredible career. Uh, speaking of adding to that defense, a lot of people look at the pass rush 
And they're still wondering where that's going to come from because that was the biggest need heading into the offseason. They franchise tag Frank Clark, but where else is that going to come from? Pete Carroll spoke about how they're not done looking yet for pass rush help. Well, let me start with uh, the fact that Jacob Martin had a, had a really impressive year when you go back and look at the stats that, that he turned out for the limited amount of plays he played. He was active. His uh, pressures were up there percentage-wise. You know, he had three sacks and 200 snaps or something, 230 snaps or it was rushing. He's going to be a factor for us again. We need to develop him physically and maintain his, his girth. He lost weight and lost 20 pounds during the season, you know, and so that, that affected him some near the end, but he's still an attractive guy because of his motor and his quickness. So we start start there with those two guys. But we're always looking for activity problem makers for the for the offense, you know, and they can come in different sizes and shapes. There's some guys in the draft that we're interested in. Uh, there's some guys in free agency that we'll look at here in the, in the upcoming weeks. You look at the Seahawks offseason so far and how they have done in free agency, and they haven't made a big splash in terms of going out and getting a guy like an Indomitian Sue or a Justin Houston, who were probably the two biggest names in their price range on the open market. Houston, he's on his way to Indianapolis. Sue's still sitting out there. Questions about his motor. Did he take plays off a year ago for the Rams? Does he have much left in his tank? But when I look at the Seahawks, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, I look at a team that is very much okay with banking on the young guys that are there. Absolutely, and he throws out he throws out uh, uh, Jacob Martin, but in, in cut, number, cut number three, he also mentions another key guy on the defensive line in Rasheem Green. If, if, if I go right back to ours, if we got to get Rasheem Green to really come alive. He had some really good spots last year. He did great early in the season, got worn down a little bit, and wasn't quite as effective. But he has to be a factor for us, too, uh, from inside and out, you know, from our guys that, uh, that we developed. So, um, but we need, we're need we just looking for activity and, and problem makers. The expectations put on Rasheem Green last year and his performance in the season, they didn't match. Third-round pick a year ago, the second pick made by the Seahawks in the draft, left a lot to be desired. He couldn't stay healthy, wasn't in the lineup as regularly as you could hope, and especially for a team in desperate need of guys on that defensive line. I think Rasheem Green is a huge key to the Seahawks in 2019. He is. Uh, I think Rasheem Green and Jacob Martin, when when you're talking about this with Pete Carroll and you are sitting on your roster, you are looking at your young talent and saying, these are the guys that are going to take us to where we need to go. These guys are, they showed their bright spots at certain moments. Rasheem Green, if you're just looking at preseason, gosh, this guy was an all-pro. If you're looking at Jacob Martin in the limited amount of snaps that Pete Carroll was talking about, uh, he had some bright moments. But they have not shown us, either one of those guys, that they can make the ginormous leap into year two that Coach Carroll and the Seahawks group is looking for them to make. Now, it doesn't mean it can't happen, but that is a tremendous leap to go from where they were last year to being two players that are guys that are helping you drive a Super Bowl contending team. That's a big leap to me. Uh, I I like their talent. I like their upside, but they have a lot to prove uh, on that end. And and so for me, when I look at that and I look at these comments, 
man, I, this OTAs and training camp is going to be fascinating to watch and see how a Jacob Martin comes back. What type of shape is he in? Rasheem Green, you know, what type of shape those two guys are in? Can they withstand a 16-game season and play a dominant effort? Also, Pete Carroll spoke today uh, about Doug Baldwin's health and his normal cheery demeanor, Pete, known for his positivity, didn't have that so much when discussing Baldwin's injuries. It's just taken a toll on him. You know, it, it, it was a, a tremendous toll on him last year during the season. He's such a stud of a kid and a great competitive kid um, that he, he endured it. But, uh, you know, he's going to have another, you know, six to eight week surgery coming up here soon. And uh, it's just been a it's just been a big burden for him. So we'll, we'll just hang with him. If anybody can do it, he can. When I hear Pete talk like that, yeah, that is the most concerning thing, especially when it's about an injury status of a guy. Because normally, if if he's talking about some guy's injury status, he'll be like, "Oh, yep, he's got a he's got a hamstring. We're looking to get him going here quickly." He said, "You know, it's taking a toll on him. It's being a burden. Like he's got another six to eight weeks ahead of him." The Seahawks wide receiver core, where it is right now, I think hinges largely on Doug Baldwin's health. Without a doubt. And if he isn't able to go 100% in week one of this upcoming season, I think they absolutely have to take a look at it, whether it be in the draft in the first couple of rounds, or they got to find somebody out on on the free agent market that can get something. This, this definitely draws concern. Uh, with, with Pete talking like that, uh, you can definitely read into it for sure. Uh, Pete is normally positive. Uh, he downplays a lot of injuries and, and is very vague. But the fact that he um, has a somber tone to him when talking about Doug, um, yeah, it can make you. It can lead you to believe that there is something big going on here. Uh, for me, I believe that Doug has a lot to ponder and a lot to think about. I do believe that he ultimately can play. The The knee and shoulder surgery is something that really concerns me more than the sports hernia deal. The sports hernia surgery uh, is something that we can that he can get over, uh, but he has to let this team know where he's at mentally come by, in my opinion, by June at the latest so that they can just figure out what they want to do. And the Seahawks, do they have confidence in the fact that Doug is going to come back and looking at the draft, depending on where they take a guy, to me will tell me an awful lot about where they think Doug's future is uh, in this current season and, and and years to come. So that's something to definitely keep an eye on. And overall, just like we talked about, Coach Carroll, uh, we will get this into a later segment, but man, he really is confident in the depth of this team. Yeah, like you said, coming up in a half hour, the Seahawks, they've got a tremendous belief in their young talent do you? That's coming up in about 30 minutes. But up next, did the NFL get their rule changes right today? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heap, Seattle Sports at Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. About 10 to 15 minutes from now, it's going to be time for another edition of Four Down Territory here on Seattle Sports at Night. Questions about the Huskies as they gear up for spring practice next week. We'll answer those with the quarterback, Jake Heaps, in about 10 minutes. 
from now. You can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. This week at the NFL owners' meetings in Phoenix, lots of rules have been bandied about. They have been put up for discussion. The competition committee has met. And there's actually going to be some interesting new ones for the 2019 season, most notably an expansion of replay as it comes to pass interference on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. This very much inspired by the NFC title game when Nikel Roby Coleman laid that early hit on Tommy Lee Lewis and altered the course of maybe NFL history yeah. because of it. And we've heard so much this offseason that those kinds of rule changes, if they do get put in place, uh, could spell the end of, of the NFL as we know it. Or at least some people have had that kind of overreaction <laughs> to it. Uh, but to me, I, I look at these kinds of rule changes, and maybe it's because I haven't played the game at a level that you have, but I look at it and say, at the end of the day, if they're getting more calls right than wrong, what's the bad thing about this? Yeah, I I don't I don't think that when you look at this, I my initial reaction was yes, like I'm finally glad that we are heading in the right direction with this. This should be a play. This is a now that you have made this a spot foul. This is a monumental play. It has changed into that. It used to be where it was just a 15 yard penalty, first down. Uh, was frustrating, but hey, it was only 15 yards, right? Um, sometimes it, it mattered. Sometimes it was it was okay. You could overcome, especially if we were on defense. But now you're looking at plays that could be 30, 40 yards down the field uh, that can change the momentum entirely in a game. Uh, and I think of uh, two occasions for the Seahawks that worked in their favor against the Minnesota Vikings, actually. Um, and so those are those are plays that, if if they're egregiously missed one way or the other, now that coach has the ability to challenge that call. You still have to be smart with your challenges. You can't just throw them out there and have unlimited challenges and, and do it every time you well please. You have to pick and choose your battles and pick your spots to, to throw this flag. The only thing that concerns me, Curtis, is the booth being in control and having the ability to stop the game uh, and review the pass interferences during the two-minute drives. I still think that it should be a challenge deal and not necessarily the booth that can stop it. But the only reason why I'm concerned about that is, is because how many times is it going to happen? We just don't know. We don't know if they're going to go overboard to make sure that uh, you know they're called right or if it's only for the egregious defensive pass interference calls. Well, NFL head of officiating, Al Riveron, he joined John Clayton on his school podcast this week. And the question of will refs throw more flags because of the the harder magnifying glass that's on plays now, he said he's not worried that refs will throw more flags. Our guys and gals in the field are, are coached and are trained since they start working pop corner football to react on what they see. You cannot expect someone to bail you out. You cannot expect someone to have your back. You are trained, and and you have this innate thing that your gut tells you, do it or don't do it. And you have to react based on what you see, which I go back to mechanics. 
if you're at the right place at the right time anticipating what's about to happen chances are that we're going to win but i know a lot of people say that well if we have this backup then we'll be more prone to do this i really don't think so because again our guys and gals on the field i'll tell you from experience I didn't care if I had a 12-camera game or 45-camera game. I was going to officiate the same exact way. Uh, and if you go to if you go to cut 12, Curtis, uh, he he backs it up with you know my question: uh, Will will the flags be thrown more? He obviously said no, uh, but does he think the challenges will increase because of it? So, John, right now we average just over half a challenge per game by the coaches. We're at a little bit over one challenge per game, and that's inclusive of replay stoppages and coaches. So when I, when I tell you it's over half a challenge, I do believe we'll have more challenges, but I also believe the coaches are going to hang on now towards the end, just outside of two minutes, to at least a timeout and a challenge. So I don't know if it's going to be more, because I think they're going to hang on to one just in case till the end. But again, we'll see what happens. So. I- yeah. Yeah. So he, you know, I, I think that's logical, right? Only half a challenge per game is nothing. If that increases to a little bit more than that, to one challenge per game with the new addition, to me that that is right in line with where I where I thought it was going to be. Yeah, and that doesn't indicate a slippery slope. Uh, that to no. me doesn't indicate a, a massive upheaval in a game that we all know and love, it signals to me like, yeah, this is going to be an instance where the NFL says, yeah, we messed up, and we can't be okay with that in games that mean so much. You have to have checks and balances. There it is. Also, another rule that didn't get passed uh, was another option to an onside kick not involving the onside kick. It was put forth by the Denver Broncos, they wanted a 4th and 15 play call where you had to gain the 15 yards in order to keep your drive alive. Uh, John Elway, general manager of the Broncos, also legendary quarterback, he joined Danny David Moore earlier today and talked about the onside kick rule that he tried to get past. The new kickoff rules have been better because it's a lot safer play now, but it's it's uh, the unintended consequences that it's affected the onside kick, so... We uh, proposed a new rule change to try to get a fourth and fifteenth, and one time, you know, one time a game in the fourth quarter to give you a chance to come back that would take the place of an onside kick. It didn't get passed, but I think there's still hope with it. We'll, uh, you know, it's always hard to get one pass; it's just introduced, and so once the owners get more comfortable with it, maybe it'll be more effective yet next year. But we'll see what happens with the onside kick. Now, Jake, you being a quarterback, if the game is on the line. Would you rather have the ball in your hands with a with a one play opportunity to get fifteen yards, or have the ball leave it up to chance on how it rolls <laughs> through a, a hands team? Oh gosh, I, I don't even know if you need to finish that. Like, yeah, yeah, put the ball in my hands. Now it worked out for us one time uh, against the Green Bay Packers, Brandon Boykin, right? Yeah, thank you, Brandon Boykin. Okay, but I think. Like John Elway said, the changes to the kickoff rule completely neutered the play itself, completely neutered the, uh, the, uh, the onside kick play. So now your percentages, when it was originally a play and when, when you had the original rules, there was a decent percentage, not high, but there was a decent percentage that you're willing to go for, and it adds intrigue to the play. With those rules now 
uh, being changed, the play is simply useless. There's no anticipation. There's no excitement. There's nothing. It, you can bear. You can basically just call it a wash. Give it to the other team. The game is over. With John, with John Elway saying, "Let's let's propose that they, that we can do it one time in the fourth quarter." I'm all for that. I am all for that. I think it adds more excitement to the game. I think it actually then gets the percentages to be in a certain spot where the conversion rate on fourth and fifteen is not high, not high at all. It's probably the same as the conversion rate for onside kicks currently. I, I would think so, or maybe just a little bit higher, or maybe what they used to be, what onside kicks used to be before the rule changes, right? Uh, and so, to me, it, why wouldn't you want to see that happen? You could try and reverse the rules. I don't think that happened. So now a fourth and 15 one time a game uh, at the end, if you wanted it, I think is really exciting. It's exciting to watch. Uh, now you get your superstar players out on the field for one more time, for one more critical moment in a game where you get to watch your best corner or your best receiver, your quarterback, uh, make a spectacular play. You want to watch your edge rushers, your Frank Clarks, your Demarcus Lawrence, your Jadavian Clownies. You want to see them, okay, it's 4th and 15, you know they're going to pass. Let's see if they can get a sack. It, again, it just it puts your superstar players out there on the field one more time in a critical moment uh, that just gives this game more, that much more excitement. Uh, I, think that's, I think it's a great uh, idea, and I would love to see it pass. My guy Jake, he, he wants the ball in his hands. Well, he's going to get the ball in his hands because it's time for four-down territory. The Huskies, how are they going to shake out in a crowded Pac-12 North race? We answer that question next right here. Seattle Sports Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. This, this is four-down territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got to dig deep, deep, deep. He wanted the ball in his hands. He's got an opportunity Talking about the quarterback, Jake Heaps. Let's go. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Night. We end off every first half of the show with some four down territory because we got to put seven on the board. What's up with first down? Number one. First down to you, Jake. Husky spring practice begins next Wednesday, so a week from today. Which position battle will be the most hotly contested? Uh, I think without a doubt it's the quarterback position. Uh, you, you've got uh, already it's the, the, the position that gets the most attention. Uh, now you have to replace Jake Browning, one of the all-time greats, and uh, you've got one heck of a battle. You've got Jacob Eason, who has all the hype, all the intrigue, the size, the talent, uh, really to be a first-round draft pick in the next year or two. Uh, then you've got Jacob Hayner, who is undersized, but uh, has a ton of confidence, and the, and the coaching staff really loves his approach to the game. And Chris Peterson has been able to get it done with quarterbacks who necessarily have all the talent, all the tools. Uh, so that, to him, is not a deterrent. Then you have Jacob Sermon, Colson Yankoff, Dylan Morris on the quarterback roster as well, uh, who are going to be battling it out for the number one, number two, and number three spots. And the other reason why it's such a great intrigue is not only to find out who the starter is going to be, but what are the domino effects going to be when you get out that depth chart of the second and third string, fourth string guys, then do you see some movement happening in terms of transferring? Those are the things that then are the effects 
of naming the starter and the backup. So a lot to pay attention to uh, in spring from the quarterback position. Number two. Second down to you, Jake. Huskies winning the Pac-12 North and the Pac-12 outright a year ago. Do they have what it takes to go back-to-back? They absolutely do, Curtis. They absolutely have what it takes to go back-to-back. They lose some big-time names uh, on their offense and defense that were big-time contributors, but when you establish yourself as one of the elite If you're going to be an elite program, you have to have the ability to replace your key talent, and that's something that Alabama has been able to do year in and year out, and Washington is going to be able to do the same. On defense, man, they have recruited so well. Uh, They'll be able to replace Ben Burkhurvin. They'll be able to replace Taylor Rapp and Byron Murphy Jr., which is a tough task in great games. They've got got those pieces behind them and the athleticism. Uh, On offense, when you really think about it, They only lose three offensive starters, Caleb McGarry, Jake Browning, uh, Miles Gaskin, and then then you got Drew Sample. So four guys. You replace pretty much everybody else, and I don't think that, you know, quarterback, if Eason turns out to be what you think he is, you could potentially upgrade at the position in terms of talent. And you could get a full year out of Hunter Bryant. That's right. So full year out of Hunter Bryant. So they have the stuff to replace uh, what they are losing. So I, I fully expect this team to return to the back, uh, Pac-12 champs. Number three. Third down, Pete Carroll really liking the depth that the Seahawks have in the secondary and at the wide receiver position. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, when I woke up this morning, Curtis, I was not expecting to see this. I was not expecting to see uh, Pete Carroll talk so uh, highly about where they're at in terms of their depth in the secondary and receiver position. I understand what he's saying. They have great young talent at the secondary position. They have Trey Flowers, who they converted from safety to corner. Great intrigue. Shaq Griffin, their former first-round pick, uh, showed great promises rookie year. Year two took a step back, but still can turn the things around. And then you have Delano Hill and Tedrick Thompson, who were mid-round picks for you, who played some good football for you at different times. Now, do they have the ability to take that next step, that next leap to become elite players in the National Football League? I simply do not know. There's a lot of unknowns, so I can't dub it as something that has great depth. And for the receiver position, man, he spoke highly of Jaron Brown and David Moore. And although I believe that those guys have more to give, uh, they were too spotty for me last year to just simply say, yes, they are going to be major contributors going into the 2019 season. There is a lot of unknowns, a lot of questions for me about those two positions. And so I was surprised to see that Pete Carroll was dubbing them as great depth uh, positions. You bring up Jerron Brown. Here's what Pete Carroll had to say about him and saying how we could have used him more. Jerron Brown is a very good player. You're right about David. I'm hoping this third year for, for David is really, uh, really special because he's got great talent. Um, you know, Amari Darbo comes back too you know, to us, and he was a very competitive kid also. So it's a good position group right now. Tyler had the you know the best year ever, and we're hoping to build on that one. But uh, it's, again, it's going to go back to the competitiveness. Jerron uh, Brown is a really good player that we look back and we could have used him a lot more. He did a lot of things for us. He blocked well and fit into a lot of stuff, complimentary guys. I think he scored five touchdowns, you know, in a limited amount of catches. So we know we can go to him. He's a real pro, and so um, we're anxious to see him develop more. Any questions about Jerron Brown and whether he's going to get cut this offseason? I, I don't think 
there's well, a from, chance of that. From happening. that clip, absolutely not. I, I mean, he was a he was a key special teams contributor for you. Uh, he did play well in spots, but you just didn't know if they were going to try and replace him. But his efficiency in terms of what he was able to do with the amount of targets and catches that he had were good. So Pete Carroll definitely has uh, you know something to stand on there. Now the question is, can you actually get more out of him? Can you target him more and get that production that you're talking about? That's the question I don't know. Number four. Fourth down to you, Jake. Last chance to put seven on the board here. In which ways can the Seahawks offense evolve going into year two under offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer? I think the simple way for them to evolve and realistically evolve is understand that they are not going to change their way. They they were able to recapture who they were and what they want to be, and Pete Carroll is a run-first oriented uh, uh, offensive mind. Uh, from a defensive perspective, Brian Schottenheimer is the same exact way. Uh, so they are going to be a run-first team and use the play-action pass to their advantage to try and score. The way I think they evolved, though, is that using Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll talked about it with John Clayton, is the one nice surprise that they found was was Russell took upon himself more responsibility in terms of audibling. And I think they're going to evolve that package for Russell even more, allow him to do more because he showed the ability to do so. And he really got them out of more bad plays than people realize. So uh, using that, I think, will be great for them. The other thing is is understanding that using the play-action pass game doesn't mean that you have to go seven-step drop deep down the field, Curtis. You can still do play-action pass and throw into the flat, get the ball out of your hands quick, get into the intermediate pass game. Those are things that they are going to have to do in this offense to complement what they've already been able to establish. And that's key for them to evolve going forward. Four down territory in the books. You can download the podcast, 710sports.com. You can subscribe to Seattle Sports Tonight on iTunes and also on Google Play. Coming up next, the Seahawks, they have a tremendous amount of belief in their young talent. They think it's good enough to win a Super Bowl. Do you believe in them that same way? That's next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, 710 ESPN Seattle.